This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Each week we preview and review the big business and market stories with an Oanda Senior Market Analyst. And this week it is Craig Earlham from London. And a very good afternoon to Craig. How are you doing? Really good. How are you? Very well, thank you. Let's start with the big story of the day, and that's the latest GDP figures for the second quarter of 2019. And the big story, in fact, it is uh, front page headlines. The UK economy contracted 0.2%. This surprise contraction coming after a boost to economic growth in the first three months of the year, of course, because of the uh, Brexit stockpiling. And uh, the pound has slipped on that data because of fears of a recession. We'll talk about that in a second or two. But let's be honest, Craig, forget about the headlines and perhaps the political problems that the Conservative Party are going to have because of these figures. These numbers are distorted because of that stockpiling for a no-deal Brexit. How seriously should we take these from an economic point of view, if not a political one? So the political story in this case is far bigger than the actual story. As you've alluded to, we had stunning growth in the first quarter by comparison to what we would have ordinarily expected. And we had contraction in the second quarter as a result of the stockpile in the inventory building that you've just alluded to. The political story of this means that people who want a second referendum, people who've been campaigning for Remain, uh, the people's vote uh, now for some time, have this in their artillery to throw at those levers, to throw at people pushing for a no-deal Brexit, saying, we are now at risk of falling into recession heading into this no-deal Brexit, what can Brexit actually do to our economy? We're not just talking recession anymore, we're talking deep recession. Uh, So it gives them that bit of weaponry in their artillery. From a lever standpoint, then they'll obviously be pointing out the fact that this is one quarter and the fact that no recession is confirmed. They can't obviously use the fake news tag, the Project Fear tag, because it is still a contraction. And unfortunately, until the next quarter is actually confirmed, there's not really too much they can say about whether it will lead to a recession or not. The seed has been planted and that's what the media and that's what the narrative is going to continue to run with. I don't think we will fall into recession in the third quarter. For one, I think the inventory building will have been mostly knocked off in this quarter. There may be a little bit of overhang, but nothing too drastic. But then if we are going to take the first quarter as an example, how much more inventory building are we going to see in the third quarter ahead of a potential no-deal Brexit in October? Um, You may see a lot of that actually come in October and fall more into the fourth quarter, but there may be some build-up in that third quarter, which boosts the data then. So I don't think we are going to see a recession, but unfortunately, all we need is the seed, and the seed's been well and truly planted ahead of that 31st of October date. It couldn't have really worked out better for people's voters and also the EU in this case. Yes, it's had a negative impact on the pound, but of course, the pound is factoring in a lot of no-deal fear right now, and the only thing to make no-deal worse is heading into a no-deal Brexit already in a recession. That third quarter, that's going to be in early November, right, those figures? Yes, that's correct. There's a hell of a lot to happen between now and then. A no-deal Brexit, possibly, the fall of the government, and maybe even the general election. This is a huge political headache, just this 0.2% drop for Boris Johnson's government, because he's going to have to go into a possible election with these figures hanging over him. Neither of us think there's going to be a recession. We think that the next quarter will probably be a bit healthier because of this distortion of the figures between the first and the second quarters. But this is not what he would like. But that's why the seed is almost more damaging 
damaging than the actual result because as long as there's a risk of a recession then people campaigning for a people's vote and people who want to remain have this to effectively weaponize this piece of data because they don't need the second piece of data to come prior to this actual event happening the best thing that the leave campaign can do and this is what we will probably see is they'll point to germany they'll point to italy they'll point to other areas in the euro area in particular but other areas around the world as well and say growth is slowing everywhere this is not just uk this is not just brexit obviously brexit is having an impact look at the business investment numbers they've been in negative territory now for some time this is part of a global growth slowdown but it is primarily driven by brexit but i'm sure they are going to point to the other factors and say how can we be sure that this is brexit yes it may not be the ideal time but that doesn't matter brexit is going to give us opportunities and i think that's probably what we'll see the fact that others are slowing down as well does give them that ammunition and they can also point to central banks around the world which this week have been in cutting interest rates the reserve bank of new zealand surpassed expectations they cut by 50 basis points rather than 25 base points the reserve bank of india cutting straight by I think 35 basis points they were expecting to cut by 25 basis points the Bank of Thailand cut interest rates as well mm. all in the same night so they can at least point to all the central banks why would they be cutting rates if this was just Brexit are we going to claim that Brexit is impacting them as well this has always been part of the Brexit narrative it's not about necessarily having a strong argument it's about being able to undermine the other side's argument and by saying that other central banks are cutting rates by saying that Germany has been in recession or been at risk of recession and may actually post negative growth next week by saying that Italy has been in recession you're undermining the other's arguments, even if there is validity to it. And we could very well be in a perfect storm of economic bad news if this trade war continues between China and the United States. We've already talked about other central banks reducing their rates and this news today and the possibility of this trade war really hotting up means surely we're going to have a, a nailed-on cut interest rates from the Bank of England. This is the interesting thing again, isn't it? I mean, ordinarily, I'm sure Brexiteers would love to point to the trade war as a reason why we are going to see negative growth, but they can't really do that either. If we look at the situation which we have now, they want a trade deal with the US. By saying the trade war's at fault for them seeing a slowdown for a potential global recession, they're effectively pointing the finger at Donald Trump, and no one's going to want to do that. But it is the perfect storm right now, and that's why we're seeing such volatility in the markets. Equity markets sold off 6-7% over the last couple of weeks. We've seen a bit of a rebound in the last couple of days. Again, this perfect storm of uh, the trade war hotting up, the Fed not cutting uh, or signalling it's going to cut as aggressively as the markets want it to. What we've seen in the last week and a half in the trade war has not only caught us off guard to an extent, not that we were not expecting this at some point, but so quickly, the series of aggression that we've seen from both sides has been very rapid. We have to remember that this time two weeks ago, we were talking about Donald Trump's team, Steve Mnuchin, Light, uh, Robert Lighthizer, etc., going to Shanghai, having negotiations with the Chinese regime, trying to work through that final 10% of the trade deal. This is what Trump and Xi had spoken about in Japan uh, a couple of months ago on the sidelines of the G20, trying to restart talks. Expectations were low for this meeting, but we were hoping for progress. That Friday, Trump comes out, puts 10% tariff on $300 billion worth of Chinese imports, clearly a sign that these talks have not gone well. China replied, by effectively banning imports of US agricultural goods, hitting Donald Trump right in the heartlands, key voter base for him, going after the farmers and sending a very strong message that we have other weapons in our artillery. We can go directly for you ahead of your election next year. If you want to play this game, you better hope that you can win an election regardless of this. And then they also let the currency slip. This has been a big story this week. It was the Chinese yuan, the dollar going above seven Chinese yuan uh, for the first time in more than 11 years. Is. This is not necessarily a peg, but the People's Bank of China had been protecting this level for some time. One of the things is 
a number of countries over the years have suggested that China manipulates its currency to keep it weaker in order to boost its its exports, boost its manufacturing market. China's disputed this for a long time. But what we tend to see is we start to see sentiment starts to slip with around China, around the Chinese economy. You start to see the yuan slip quite quickly. Then the fear is capital fleeing the country, which China obviously needs. This is a heavily investment-led boom, and therefore it needs investment to not leave the country. So it, while people believe that it needs a weaker currency, if it is going to have a weaker currency, it needs to have a gradual managed softening of the currency. So when it slipped below seven, when it slipped above seven, what they were effectively doing was sending a message to the US saying, we've gone after your farmers, but we can also play with the currency as well as if we wish. They didn't let it go too far, but the message was sent because that seven is seen as such a massive psychological barrier. People have been watching that level for months. So the minute that slipped and it's been there all above there all week, they sent a very strong message to the White House. The White House responded immediately. They labelled China a currency manipulator. Very, very symbolic thing to do because it doesn't really do anything. It means that the US, China and the IMF will now engage in discussions in a way to try and manage the currency and effectively remove this tag. Nothing's going to come of it, but Trump wanted to send the message that we saw what you did there and we are going to fight back as hard as we possibly can. That's a massive intensification in the trade war in a space of such a short period of time. And I'm so glad I could sum it up in such a long period of time. (laughs) No problem at all. We haven't mentioned Iran for the last couple of weeks, uh, Craig. I don't know if you have anything to say about that, but it's been on the back burner. But the oil price has fallen, hasn't it? So the oil price has fallen because people's expectations for the global economy have slipped. We have to remember that there's many factors which play into prices. There's the supply side and the demand side, there's been a lot of focus on the supply side now for the last number of years, uh, whether that is record US output, US becoming the largest producer of oil in the world because of the shale industry, whether that's OPEC plus production cuts, that's OPEC and non-O- some non-OPEC nations including Russia. Whether that is supply disruptions, whether we're talking Venezuela, uh, whether we're talking about Iran because of the sanctions. And obviously now, what we've been talking about recently, the Strait of Hormuz, uh, the intensification of the conflict between Iran and the US, and even more so now involving the UK more recently. But the other side of it is demand, and that's a massive side of it. People just assume that demand growth is going to remain consistent and we're going to continue to see that. Well, that's now been threatened because of this global economic slowdown. When we saw this Chinese trade war intensify, the stock markets fell because of the risks to the global economy. Other central banks seem to panic because of the risks to the global economy. Oil prices moved relative to that as well, and they fell 15% because the risk is if you don't see that kind of demand growth, then the supply side isn't your biggest issue anymore. Okay, let's move back to Europe and specifically Italy, which uh, has a government yet again on the brink of collapse. Why is this important in terms of Europe as a whole? It's not massively important in terms of Europe as a whole. It's also not entirely surprising. I think probably in many people's eyes, the most surprising thing about this is that it hasn't collapsed prior to this. There was this idea that because these two uh, parties are both populist and they're both in many ways anti-EU and in the past have wanted to take Italy out of the uh, European project, they may be able to work together. The problem is this is a far-left party and a far-right party. That is basically the only thing they agree on is that they both dislike the EU. So all of the policies are very much at odds with. One group, the Five Star Movement, want effectively a minimum living allowance. Uh, The other side wants to cut taxes. And then facing them, you've got the EU who are saying, well, actually, we also need you to cut your budget. You can't possibly do all three things at once. These things aren't clearly possible. 
both these populists vowed to fight back against the EU. They basically failed. They got a little bit of leeway, but not very much. And their expectations on the economy proved to be too aggressive, as the EU warned they would, which means they're probably unlikely to get any lee- too much leeway in the near future as it is. Therefore, the markets piled the pressure on them and they had to concede. Now, what we've seen now is that the pressure has got too much. They both sides just don't agree on enough things that it's now at risk that this coalition collapses. Again, not an enormous surprise. The only surprise is the timing of it, because a couple of weeks ago we were reassured the issues had been resolved and now we're talking about a parliament that's in summer recess that one side is threatening Salvini the, the leader of the league party is threatening to effectively recall MPs from recess in order to uh, effectively bring down government uh, and trigger new elections the reason why he's so keen to do that the reason why it's not the other side is because the League Party actually performed very well in the European elections and in the polls the ratings have gone through the roof whereas five stars have actually slipped off it's expected now that in the event of a, an election I saw I think earlier today they get around 40% of the vote they obviously see that they've got the much stronger hand right now so if we're going to have an election it may as well be now when they can truly capitalise on these poll ratings OK let's briefly look ahead to next week I mean August is usually a quiet time of the year I mean we've seen some roller coaster markets over the last few days although I, I do wonder whether that's just because the volume is fairly low is that the case? Yeah, I mean, the volume's low, MPs are on recess, uh, central bankers aren't generally that active um, now over the next few weeks, so there's, there isn't usually too much to talk about. You're kind of relying on geopolitical events and Trump uh, more often than not. We can throw Brexit yeah. into the mix now because I don't think many of Boris's team are going to be on recess. So you're relying on these things and then you're relying on the data. In terms of what to, is to watch next week, it's basically everything we've just been talking about. These stories aren't going anywhere, as we've just highlighted again. In terms of the data, I think the primary thing is going to be the UK data. So we've got uh, the jobs report on Tuesday, probably not going to be too many surprises uh, on that front. We've got the inflation data on Wednesday, again, not too many surprises around about target. Not too much pressure really on the central bank at this moment in time from a purely inflation standpoint. And then on Thursday, we have retail sales. So this is the big UK jobs week, of course. We've got US retail sales as well at that point as well. That's going to attract some attention also. And I think we've got uh, German GDP as well. We're expecting a contraction there. Again, that comes at a good time probably for Brexiteers because if people start complaining too much about the UK being in recession and trying to attribute that to Brexit... Brexiteers can turn around and say, well, Germany's in contraction as well and they're at risk of a session. What impact is Brexit having on them? It's obviously a global story, which is what I was alluding to earlier. So there's a lot of data next week, which is quite interesting. US inflation as well, actually, on Wednesday, uh, which I missed. So there's a lot of data, whether it's going to be knockout, whether it's going to get the markets going, whether it's going to be even particularly interesting. We'll have to wait and see, but I still think the big political stories are the ones which are going to be moving the markets on that and on the fact that you did highlight the fact that liquidity is low and which can sometimes lead to volatility. I wouldn't be surprised if we see another week like this week where the markets have been extremely volatile because these situations are intensifying so rapidly. And if retail sales and inflation are significantly down in comparison to what the expectations were, are we looking at a potential rate cut in September? I don't think so. I don't think the bank wants to do anything prior to October 31st. They want something in the bank, don't they, really? quite literally? Some, yeah. some uh, leg room, really, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I assume you're talking about the Bank of England here, not the Federal Reserve. The, yes, um, the Bank of England, the, yeah. the Federal Reserve is highly expected to uh, cut interest rates in September at this moment in time. But the bank of England, from a Bank of England perspective, I, I think they'll probably wait until after Brexit. I just don't think it's in their interest to be preempting the kind of Brexit news right now. And plus, as you say... If, Brexit, if no deal Brexit happens, they want a bazooka. And that bazooka can't be 25 basis point cut. It's got yeah. to be a 50 at least and some QE. And at the moment, interest rates are at 0.75%. So there's not much of a bazooka left if they cut in September. Well, we had Andrew Sentence, former MPC member in the Business Breakfast studio this week, saying if only interest rates were a little bit higher and then there would have been a lot more wriggle room. 
Well, yeah, exactly. And that, I think that's what Mark Carney really wanted as well over the last couple of years. And that's probably one of the things he was most disappointed about with Brexit was the fact that it didn't enable them to pursue a similar policy to the US that gives them this kind of wiggle room to cut interest rates when need be. We're now in a situation not too dissimilar from the euro area where when things happen, the people were talking about the ECB cutting interest rates by 0.1% in September. Yeah. What difference is that going to make? Absolutely none. It needs to be something bigger. They need uh, something more significant. For them, that's going to be QE. And I think the Bank of England's feeling that it's going to have to be the same for them, which is why they just really can't be cutting interest rates in September. And even if the data misses, this is one data point. Generally speaking, inflation's around 2%. Average earnings are around 3.5%. And consumer spending is not too bad. So therefore, the economy is strong enough regardless of what this data says next week. Craig, thanks for joining us and see you again soon. Thank you very much. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.